52 weeks, 365 days, 8,760 hours, 525,600 minutes, 31,536,000 seconds ahead of us. That's a lot of time to be effective for God. It's a lot of time to waste time, hey? And I guess it's funny for me that we make a lot of New Year's resolutions at a time when everybody else is actually trying to wind down. <laughs> Seems to be the wrong time of year to, you know, to decide to do some resolutions. And you know the drill. Dispense with the old bad habits and initiate some good new habits. But the sad thing is that eight out of ten New Year's resolutions never come to pass. They're the statistics. So it's not real good. But getting fit, losing weight, spending more time with your family, that's what the world says is a good New Year's resolution. And I'm wondering what God would say is a good New Year's resolution for us. And I you know, I think the whole New Year's resolution thing's not that bad an idea. Because it's really saying that I want to be a better person. I want to improve myself, whether that be a physical thing or an attitude thing. What the world is saying is actually a good thing because it's about change. It's about transformation. And that's the heart of Christianity, to be more like Christ. And that won't happen sitting in our lounge chairs watching the Boxing Day tests. I'm sure Jesus would have been a cricket fan, but you know what I mean. I mean, we've got to engage in the process. We've actually got to be intentional about changing or letting God change us and engaging in that process. And it's not a pleasant process. And I think one of the things that we're losing in Christianity is the ability to be self-reflective and to be self-aware because we just don't like to dig up the bad bits about ourselves. You know, we much more want to focus on the good bits. But I think if we're going to be more like Christ, we've got to make a decision that we've got to allow God to change us. And that song that we just sang talked about our weaknesses being stripped away by the power of God's love. Okay, so we can make all sorts of lists this year, new resolutions, lose weight, get fit, whatever. But really today we want to, we want to focus our minds in on the spiritual changes that God wants to make in our lives. And I really believe it's a healthy exercise. It's a really healthy exercise to set some targets and to set some goals and to be, you know, focused on some objectives in our life. It doesn't mean we have to go crazy with timelines and be driven by diaries and all that sort of thing. But you know the old saying, people don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. And I know I've heard people say, oh, it's not good for Christians to, you know, set targets and to write goals and objectives. It's very secular. But I don't think it is. I think it's actually very godly to sit down under a tree with a piece of paper at this time of the year and say, God, what needs to change? What area do you want to pinpoint in my life where you want me to be accountable to someone for making that change be real and come to pass? You know, we've lost the art of being teachable and we've lost the art of having mentors and people that we give permission to speak into our lives. And we probably really don't need those human people. If our relationship's good with God, then we'll hear his voice, we'll know there's areas to work on and we'll respond. But I think sometimes it's great to have a human face on that 
for me to go to someone and say, I'm struggling in this particular area, would you keep me accountable in 2012? Here's what I want to change. And here's my strategy to how that's going to change. Because let's face it, we all want to change. But it's a matter of putting the stepping stones and the things in place that are going to make that a reality. Intentionally being mentored and sharpened by other people, I think, is a real key to growing. My dad used to have a great saying. He'd say, son, if you want to soar like an eagle, don't hang around with turkeys. It's very true. If you hang around people, like in any part of life, if you want to be a good cricketer, go and play with the A-grade cricketers. If you want to be good at golf, go and play with the professionals. And the same thing applies in our Christian circles. If you want to grow in God, it's great to surround yourself with people that you know are going to inspire you and encourage you and challenge you and speak into your life. And sometimes they're going to speak some really hard things into your life. And we need to be teachable. Sometimes what happens in Christian circles is that people speak into your life and you haven't given them permission. That's a difficulty because you're not ready. You're not in a receptive state of heart and mind. But if you go to someone and you say, Greg, I'm really struggling. Would you keep me accountable to these things? I'm giving Greg permission to call the shots, to call me on something if he sees something in my life. And that's really healthy. It can be really painful means Greg's got to stand true to the promise that he makes to me. But it also means I've got to have an open heart and be willing to hear some hard things. And I'm so glad that in my life, God has given me the blessing of having a lot of mentors. Oftentimes, they've said things that have really got my, my nose out of joint. You know, I've been hard to live with for a week or two while I've mulled over what they've said. But, but I think if you're willing to change and you take the time to do it, in your quiet time, when you listen to the voice of God, God will say, you know, Mark, there was some truth in what was said there. Are you willing to change? And it's a really humble thing when, when you share something with somebody in their life and they come and in submission and say, yeah, I agree with you. There's something not right. Would you help me? Boy, that's a powerful point in your Christian life. So part of my challenge today is who are you leading and who are you following? A lot of people come and say, Mark, I'm a great leader. And I say to them, tell me the people who are following you. Oh, I don't mentor anyone. I don't. You're not a leader. Because the principle of leadership is that you're leading people and you can look behind you and say, they're following. You know, like Paul said, follow me like I follow Christ. I'm not brave enough to make that statement. <laughs> but that's the principle. And so in our, in our journey, it's great for us to hang around people that are, will push us and stretch us and grow us and speak into our lives and challenge our theology, theology and really work with us. But it's also great for us to pass that baton on to other people as well. Okay, we've got a young man who's going to preach next Sunday and he's 15 years old because I think he's got a great gift and God's going to use him mightily. But if we don't invest into the people around us, they'll never grow. And if we don't allow people to invest into us, we'll grow stale. And I hope that 2012 is a year that we all determine, Lord, I want to go hard for you and I want to be accountable and I want to be in the midst of people that will stir me up, that won't let it be easy. Nikki Buchanan said something to me the other day and I thought, that's it, you've got it in a nutshell. Catalyst should be 
inconvenient church. I thought, that's what it should be. It should be inconvenient for us. It should stretch us. It should challenge us. It should be in love. But it should be a place where we can't get comfortable, where we can't go back to the easy street. And that's the challenge for us. When we were in America this year, um, a friend of mine was going through a pretty tough time. And he's, he got up early one morning and said, mate, would you come with me to a breakfast? Sure. Americans love to eat, so I'll be there. His shout. So that's even better. We drove about 45 minutes to the next town and we went to, I don't know the name of it, like a Denny's, something like that. And six or seven guys turned up. There's no agenda. There's just these guys that get together for breakfast. And one of them will just say, hey, I've been reading the word this week and this challenged me. And, and from there, it bounces to somebody else, to somebody else. But man, were they accountable with one another? These guys had earned trust and respect and and they were calling each other on stuff. I was getting really squirmy and uncomfortable. I'm thinking, this is really good. There was one man, Tom, who had retired. And he'd been promising his wife when he retired he would spend more time with her and that he would take her on some trips. She loved to travel. He hated traveling. But he'd made her these promises during, you know, his, that era where he's about to retire. And these guys were at him. Tom, have you booked those tickets yet? No, you know, I was going to ring the, you know, the travel agent this week, but I net not good enough. Actually, I've got some brochures for you. And they handed out these brochures to him. They gave him the number of a travel agent and they got stuck into him. They, and they said, listen, your wife has laid down her life for the last 40 years for your ministry and you're, you're getting lazy and you're not giving back to her. It's not good enough. And I thought, you know, they did it in love. But they were firm and they said, when we come to get here next Friday, you'd better bring two tickets with you or you're footing the bill for everybody. And they did it in love and they did it jokingly, but it was a great environment. And there was, a, there was a, a, um, a, uh, an Afro-American man there and he started to share about he'd lost his wife that year and how he wished he could invest more into her and the regrets that he had, that he hadn't spent that time and he, hadn't cultivated a deeper relationship with his wife and this Tom guy starts crying as he realizes he's missing an opportunity and it just went deeper and deeper and deeper and by the end of it I was just like I have never seen that level of accountability with a group of guys from totally different backgrounds you know some were really rich some were really poor as we walked out one guy just paid the whole bill you know we all went to pay he just paid the lot like there was just a real thing that they've been doing that for 15 years sometimes they don't turn up you know there's only two or three but they have this intimacy you know they call it the breakfast of champions and i think it was such a refreshing thing to see that level of trust and permission given to one another you know we don't plan to fail but sometimes we do fail to plan the first church where we got saved at the start of every new year, the pastor would bring out a core flute sign. And on that sign would have all the objectives that he thought were the goals that we should shoot for as a church. And boy, you looked at them, you went down the list, you thought, man, there's some big faith steps in that. But it was so good when he brought out last year's and put it in front of it and said, well, we planned for five new home groups. We did eight. We planned for this, for this, for this, for this. See how faithful God has been to those goals that we set. 
I think the Apostle Paul sums this up very, very simply and very easily. He said, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Now Paul says just two simple things. Forget what's in the past. Forget it. Can't go back and change it. It's not going to make any difference if you worry about it, stress over it, mull over it, get anxious and have ulcers about it. It's not going to change the past. You can't go back and change it. It is what it is. And Paul's saying, forget about it. Don't let the past dictate the future. Shut it out. Close the door on it. It's the start of a new year. It's great to look back and see the good parts, but it's also good to shut out the bad parts and say, okay, I made some mistakes. I'll learn anew in 2012. How many people are living in the guilt and the shame and the regret of what happened in the past? It's like there's tentacles tied to their back. They're strapped to the past. And we need to be able to cut those ties that bind us, that paralyze us. And sometimes we look back and we see all the failures and all the hurts and the hardship, and we don't want to press on. And Paul's saying we've got to strain towards what's ahead. We've got to cut it off so that we don't carry baggage around with us. But it's not always looking back and seeing all the negatives. Sometimes we can look back and see all the positives and we can get lazy. We can say, well, we had a great 2011. We did this and we did that. And we can just get lazy and complacent and not stretch ourselves as we come into 2012. So it's easy to be cynical and defeat us when we look at the past. Easy to look at the what ifs and the maybes. But Paul's saying, forget it. It doesn't count anymore. You can't change it strain for what is ahead and when i think about straining i like when you see the olympics there's only one thing worth watching in the olympics and that's the men's 100 meters the rest of it's all girly as far as i'm concerned to watch those guys like they are incredible athletes and the power and just to watch the way that they strain and it's just the perfect human bodies in action to watch someone like usain bolt He's an incredible athlete. And to see him fixated on that finish line, they get to the blocks, they don't look at anyone next to them, they don't look at the crowd, they don't look at anything else. The whole time, he just looks at that finish line. He's determined to be the first one to get there. His whole focus is set on that line. Even when he gets down on the blocks, he's looking the whole time at that finish line. He And when you see him start and his quad muscles start to poke out and you know, see these guys straining, with every ounce of their physical being. That's what Paul's saying. Our attitude should be spiritually. We should be straining towards the goal to which Christ has called us. And universally, that's eternal life and life with Christ. 
but it's also the individual race that God has called us to run. And my race is not your race. When I sit down under a tree with a piece of paper, God's going to challenge me to do things he won't challenge you to do. He's called me to run a race and to be the best that I can be in running that race. And when I stand before God and he opens up the pages of my life, I will be accountable for what I chose to do and what I chose not to do. And Paul's saying, run the race to win. Don't to be second, don't be third, don't come last. Run it to win the race. Strain with every part of your being. Now, you're saying Bolt gets to that finish line first because he has an entourage of men who push him and push him hard. They coach him. They make him run till he vomits. You know, all sorts of stuff. He's got personal trainers that get the maximum out of him. And I think that's the Christian life. We're not supposed to run the race alone. We should have people that are spurring us on. You know, the Bible says the iron sharpens the iron. It's so good when we've got people around us that press us on and challenge us. As part of being a Baptist pastor now, it's mandatory to do professional development. You have to submit a form every year with your weaknesses and your strengths and what you're doing to work on those weaknesses. And they're keeping you accountable for being like a reader and learning things and keeping fresh in the faith. It's a really, really good exercise pretty demanding but when you think about what's underpinning that they're just saying we want our pastors to be vibrant people to be effective leaders and that's what Paul's saying we've got to be effective in the 12 months we've got ahead we should be really striving towards great things in God so forget the past and strain toward what is ahead the real question mark is what is ahead for you What does God want you to do in 2012? What ministry does he want you to be involved in? What relationships does he want you to build? What people's lives does he want you to invest in? They're the sorts of things we have to answer ourselves. To spend the time to make a plan. So spend some quiet time with the Lord and take a blank piece of paper and say, God, speak to me. My sheep hear my voice. God will speak to you. Trust him that he'll speak to you. Make a list of the things you need to forget. They'll be there just below the surface and the Holy Spirit will bring them up. You know, forget about that relationship that went south. Forget about, forget, forget, forget. And it's a command, forget it. Put it out of your mind. Let it go. Make a list of things you want to change. You know, I could make a list and say, by the end of 2012, I want to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But that's not really a measurable goal. It's not achievable. So what you're really trying to say is, if I'm here and I want to get to there, how do I do that? Now, that's a business principle. It's a life principle. And it's a spiritual principle as well. Elijah raised up Elisha, right, and invested into him everything that he knew. And that's the same principle we should have. When John the Baptist was walking the earth, he had disciples that followed him and modeled their life. And Jesus did the same thing. We should be a disciple and we should be a discipler. And we've lost that element in our church of being accountable to people, of being submissive to people. So put some people in your life that will make sure that you can attain those things. Set a simple strategy to ensure the list becomes a reality, make it relevant, 
and make it time bound so it's measurable so someone can keep you accountable so your new year's resolution might be i've never read the bible from cover to cover and you might decide that you're going to go through a reading program great resolution for the year who's going to keep you accountable to that so go and ask somebody to keep you accountable hey when you see me on sunday ross could you just check if i'm up to date with my reading simple as that okay what's the punishment going to be <laughs> okay sit there and read it now okay but really, it's, it's, it's about us positioning ourselves to grow. It's about us saying which branches need to be pruned off and working in unison with God to make that happen. And it's so great when, when people come and say, I want to be accountable. I want to change. I want to work with you. Will you help me? Who's going to say no to that? We want to see people grow. It's a great idea. There's a couple of little things that I want to challenge you about in 2012 in terms of our resolutions as a church i've been asking god to give me sort of a i don't know a theme for 2012 not that we have to preach it and teach it every week for 52 weeks but god's really been saying to me mark i want catalyst church to be a church that is extravagantly generous in 2012 and that doesn't mean just financial giving the scriptures say, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you also excel in the act of giving. And that means giving of your time, giving of your talents, giving of everything to be extravagantly generous. I went fishing with Dave Rogers a couple of weeks ago. Dave's not here, so I hope you won't mind me sharing this we went stopped at the petrol station to get bait and um he said i'll go in and get it. it's all right and so i sat in the car kept the car running and as we're driving out the driveway this i could see this lady in my rear view mirror running after the boat in the car like this and i'm thinking oh what have we done something's hanging off the boat something's wrong and i went to to stop the car and dave said just keep driving it's okay I'm thinking, what's he done? Is he <laughs> hit somebody in the shop or what's he done? And we got down the road and said, Dave, why didn't you want to stop? He said, oh, when she was putting her credit card through, it got declined. So she stepped to the side so that I could put my transaction through. And he said, I just paid her bill and I tailed it out of there and got out. I didn't, And I thought, that's extravagantly generous. Perfect stranger, didn't know her situation, but he paid her bill. And I'm thinking... That's the sort of church we need to be. Random acts of kindness that just bless people for no other reason. Dave didn't want any credit. He just wanted to get out there as quick as he could, you know. And I think that's what we need to be as a church, extravagantly generous. And the other thing I think that I want to challenge you about is I want us to be a church that sees the glass half full, not half empty, you know. One of the saddest parts about being in leadership in the church is hearing people come and say, oh, I love what's happening in church, but, but, but the worship's great, but the preaching's great, but, you know, the home groups are great, but no, no buts. See the blessing of what we've got. You know, there's a statistic in marriage that there's 80% about your partner that you love and adore, and Cheryl can correct me if I'm wrong, and there's 10% that you're a bit, iffy about like you know neutral about 
And there's 10% that you really hate about your partner. It irritates you. And you need to make a choice whether you're going to focus on the 80% or the 10%. And don't you often hear people focusing on the 10%? You hear them criticising their husband and your, their wife and you think, hang on, look at all their attributes. Look at all the great things that they do. Don't focus on the negatives. Focus on the positives. And that's what we've got to do as a church family. We've got to be looking at how much we've been blessed and how much we've been given and how full the glass is, not the little bit that's not quite there yet. So let's be a church that focuses on a glass being half full and that God has blessed us incredibly. Hey? So let's be a source of encouragement this year and a source of inspiration. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this life that you've given us. Lord, all those months and weeks and hours and days and seconds that we can waste or we can use them to bless other people, to enrich other people's lives, to spur other people on to greater faith and greater works in you. Father, I pray that we would be that inconvenient church where the power of, the love, of your love strips away the weaknesses that you see in us and that, Lord, we're not frightened to look in the mirror and ask you to search us and try us and find those things, Lord, that you want to put your finger on and change. And Lord, give us the courage. And Lord, give us the patience to, to work with others as they go through that difficult time of letting you change them. Lord, we should all be changing. And Father, as we, we move into 2012 and we set some goals for this church, and Lord, may we really set the bar high to trust you that you are a God who will do exceedingly abundantly. Like, Lord, we can make plans, but you will guide our steps. And Father, we just ask you to give us vision, your vision for our lives in this church. Lord, that we might lift our vision higher to see the mighty hand of God and what you are capable of. And Lord, not our own limitations, but to know that you can do great things because you are a great God and you have chosen great people. So Father, give us the courage this year to knuckle down and say, Lord, use me and change me. Father, give us the courage to go to people that we admire and respect and that we know are disciplined and mature and say, would you mentor me? Would you disciple me? Would you keep me accountable? Would you speak into my life where you see things that just aren't quite right? I'm giving you permission to help mold and shape me, to be the best that I can be. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you will just come into that process, those decisions that we make, and bring your power and your strengthening. So the Father, we would be a church that rides on the wave of joy and faith and expectation. Lord, help us to be a church that is extravagantly generous in all that we do. Lord, not just to tithe and give what you expect, but to go to the overflow. Lord, when we invest into our families to go above and beyond, when we invest into our, our, our marriages, that, Lord, that they'd be high on the priority list. And, Lord, when we sit down and we make a list of the things that are most important to us, Lord, that we would put you first and foremost, that we would go hard for you this year, Lord, that as we look to the finish line, it would be to glorify you, 
in every way possible in our lives. Lord, I thank you that we can make resolutions. Thank you that we can make decisions to change. And I thank you that you're a God who's promised that you will sanctify us, that you will walk that process with us hand in hand and lead us and guide us. Lord, in the few days that we have ahead, in the quiet days before we all go back to work, pray that we would each make a list of the things we're going to forget and the things we're going to do in 2012. And Lord, we'll commit them to you to be our goals, our objectives, our targets. And Lord, we pray for you to come and shake us up, mould us, do what you need to do, Lord. And Father, as the, the fire comes, as the water comes, as the trials and the tests of 2012 begin to shake our foundations, Lord, we'll look to you. And Lord, the joy of the Lord will be our strength. Father, we will stand on your promises. We will stand on the truth of who you are. And we will see you in all your glory and all your fullness. Father, my prayer is that this time next year, we will look back at 2012 and we will see lives that have been radically transformed. A community that's been touched. Disciples of Christ that will testify to being really fanned by a flame this year. That, Lord, we will go on for you. Lord, come and be the fire inside of us. Lord, be the flame upon our hearts as we set our sights on you this year. Father, we think of those who aren't here today. Lord, those who are on holidays and are away. Father, they're part of our family. They're precious to us. Lord, would you bless them while they're away? Father, would you give them great times of rest and refreshing? But Lord, would you also birth in them a renewed vigour and passion for you. Lord, breathe on the coals of our heart that, Father, we would not get lazy or complacent or be held to the past, but, Lord, we would have a clean slate for 2012. Our hearts set on fire for you. Father, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for who you are, that you are ever faithful. We praise your mighty name. Amen. Mm -hmm.